0: Today, let's ask the question, what is the role of prostitution in the Bible? Today, I'm talking to my friend, Andalina, and we are looking at prostitution in scripture, kind of the language that's used regarding it, a little bit of whole law in the New Testament, and what that tells us about prostitution. We also talk about a lot of the different cultural elements to this that we don't understand in our modern context. Andalina is currently pursuing two different master's degrees and has a a really good solid theological understanding of a lot of these topics. So I am super excited to get into this with her and take a look at this thing that a lot of people don't talk about. And the goal of this conversation is to say, this is weird. (laughs) There's a lot of weird things in the Bible about this and different stories. Rahab, uh, Tamar so many things that make us kind of scratch our heads and say, why is this here? And is this language that's being used, especially in the law of Moses, is this cruelty? Is this demeaning? Um, what does that look like? How does that fit in to our understanding of the Old Testament, the New Testament, the whole Bible, and how can we still see the goodness of God and actually prove with these texts the goodness of God and his love and kindness and mercy and graciousness to his people. So I'm super excited for this conversation. And here we go. Hey, how's it going? It's great. How are you? I am hanging in there doing pretty good this afternoon. Why don't you introduce yourself
1: to everybody? Sure. So I'm Angelina. Um, I currently reside in a really small town in Southern Utah. Um, And I work at an elementary school. Um, I'm currently crazy and doing two master's degrees at one time um, and just, you know, working hard and doing what I need to do. And then also serving at the church and just kind of being busy. And I mean, there's not really much else to say. I'm just busy. (laughs) I'm a busy girl, but I enjoy what I do. So what are your degrees in? Um, So I am doing one in, it's a master's in Christian leadership. And then the other one is a master's in education, so that I can get my license to be a teacher. So awesome!
0: So that, much work, so
1: much, so many things. Yeah, it's <laughs> a lot, but I love it. So,
0: which is why I am so thankful you you made time out of your crazy busy schedule to have a conversation because we're talking about everyone's favorite topic, <laughs> process in the Bible, <laughs> which. Whoa, there's a lot here. So the question that we're asking today is really, what is the role of prostitution in the Bible? Because there's actually a lot of it. There's a lot of references, a lot of language about it. And so we're we're asking a lot of questions within that. How does God treat prostitutes? What does he think of them? Is it condemned? Is it accepted? All of that. So just to give us a base place to start, when we are talking about prostitutes, Right now, in our conversation, we're talking about about people who solicit others for sex. So there's an exchange for sex and money. So, Mm -hmm. actually, over 80 times in scripture, we see words used about prostitution or that's referencing prostitutes um, soliciting for sex. And so it's important too when you go back, especially when it's more of a metaphorical term, go back and look at the original Hebrew text if you can. if you have access to someone who understands Biblical Hebrew, that, that is a really big help as well. But um, in our English context, of course, our modern context, we understand like someone pays someone, and they perform mm-hmm. sexual acts. There's a monetary exchange. They're not married because they're paying probably. I mean, that, there's a lot yeah. of context yeah. there. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> so sometimes in the Bible, these words are used in stories about actual prostitutes, which we're going to look at. Sometimes we're looking at the law specifically a lot of lot in Leviticus and then also God I should say the prophets God speaking through the prophets mm-hmm. um, it's used to describe Israel that's engaging in some kind of idolatry or ungodly unlawful behaviors with other nations and leaving God so there's so much that we're gonna jump into there's yeah, there's a lot yeah, a lot of pages of notes here but uh, many times in the Old Testament, We see prostituted, That's it's used as a verb and it's used in a negative context. Again, go back, I use the CSB version a lot of the time, but go back and get into the original Hebrew text if you're able to, or even the Septuagint. But why is this term used so negatively? That's the first question we're going to look at today. So I think to understand... Why prostitute or prostituted would be used negatively would be to kind of get a biblical understanding of sex and marriage. Because that's what prostitution is. There's sex and money involved. Mm -hmm. So to give us kind of a framework, we're first looking at what's the biblical design for sex. I just had a podcast with Savannah, who's actually your cousin, Savannah. (laughs) She and I were talking about just kind of like the basic, basic basics of the biblical model for marriage, which obviously sex is a big part of. So we, we can look at a lot of different places, specifically like um, you can look at the first marriage, I guess, uh, Adam and Eve and kind of creation and all of that, but also Song of Solomon, sex and the covenant of marriage. Both partners are serving one another in love. They're enjoying one another. Ephesians 5, 22 and 23. There's a lifelong commitment that has been made. Sex is for procreation and for pleasure. Um, it's the most physical symbol of love joining your bodies, your hearts, your spirits. And so I think when we look at that in comparison to prostitution, when we understand what that means, it's someone paying for sex rather than entering lifelong commitment with someone, you are instead of giving yourself to someone, you're purchasing something from them. And there's just a lot of disregard for the other person. And instead of you know exchanging vows to help one another serve the Lord, like we see in First Corinthians 7, it's exchanging right. sex money. And it kind of makes sex about consent. It's just about consent, not commitment, not genuine love, not care for one another. It's like, I'm just buying this thing from you. So I'm really degrading it and degrading you as a person. Mm -hmm. Um, There's this really interesting article. It's called, uh, it's an opinion article and it's called consent is not enough. We need a sexual ethic. And it's by a, a woman who's not a Christian and she's writing for the Washington post. Her name's Christine Emba, she's not a believer, but it's really interesting to look at actually as a believer looking at someone saying consent is not all that there is. So I think that that's a good starting point. What are your thoughts? That's a lot, but what are your your thoughts?
1: Yeah, no, this is just a lot. I think this topic is so interesting for me because I'm not married, and so it's it's something even though I am single, I hold to a high, high value. Um, and so it's just so interesting to go through this topic with you as a single person um, and just seeing what the Bible has to say about prostitution. And just kind of, it's just, I'd never even realized how often it's mentioned. Like so 80 times is a lot. It's yeah. Like, that's a lot. So obviously, it's got to have some importance, you know, like to talk about if it's mentioned that much, you know? Um, and so I think that's something to know is like, why would God put that into the Bible so often if, it, if sex wasn't important and wasn't valued? Um, and so, yeah, I think this is a great topic, <laughs> an interesting one and maybe not a comfortable one for some people, but definitely a important one to talk about. So I'm glad that we're talking about it.
0: Yeah. I, I am too. And I'm glad that we have the dynamic of like single married and right. Uh, and kind of just looking there's, like you said, this, there's so many components to this yeah. and it is interesting all the different ways. Like there's so many, so you would have to just take some time and go through them. But mm-hmm. so many instances where prostitute yourselves or prostituted yourselves is used and it's, it's always negative, but right. yeah, I think that it's important to see kind of like what the metaphor is there that either people are using or god is using when he's speaking through prophets Um, right and also understanding which we'll we will get into a little bit more as well but understanding what context we're looking in so the middle east thousands and thousands of years ago super far removed from our cultural understandings that we have so this is a patriarchal society which i always like to clarify like we we view patriarchy very negatively. We're Mm going to talk about more, like, kind of what patriarchy looked like in that setting, and that was something Savannah and I talked about in detail, kind of how that played into marriage, but Mm -hmm. it was also a culture where the outside cultures, outside of Israel, were extremely degrading of women, had very low views of women, used women, were, were allowed by the laws of their either their religious laws or the law of the land to use mm-hmm. women for sex, to rape them or sexually abuse them. And so to understand that that is not God's intention for people and yeah. also seeing what it would have been like, I think for like an ancient Middle Eastern prostitute, because it wasn't, it wasn't like America in 2022, where it's like sex workers right. have rights and, you know, they have, uh they're trying to legalize it in many states, complicated, complicated topic, but the purpose that many people see uh, as much as a lot of us disagree with it. The purpose that many people see is so that there's some kind of like union or protection for them. That was not happening anywhere in this context. Mm -hmm. And I think you would have to look a lot at the the cultural significance and a lot of like the cultural nuances of this, but it wasn't like a woman who was you know, in this society where it was like, "Yeah, you are taking control of your sexual identity or whatever," this was like someone else is probably ending up with your money, and you're probably being abused, and nobody is is advocating for you. Right. So I think that yeah. we have that understanding when we see all the ways that it's used in the Bible. I think that that's a, another good,
1: I don't know, um, good yeah. topic for us to have. That's, that's such a good point. Like culturally, like it's important to understand this topic culturally as well. And, you know, cause it's, it's not the same as the culture that we are living in now. And it's just, it's important in anything that we read in the Bible, it's important to understand the culture of what is being said and why it was said and, and things like that. So that's a really great point. Yeah. We are so, we are so far
0: removed. <laughs> it's kind yeah. of impossible without doing some right. research. Okay. So let's look next at The first mention of prostitution. So it's Levitical law. So Leviticus 21. Mm -hmm. And the author of the book gives instructions to priests. And it starts out by saying, The Lord said to Moses, speak to Aaron's sons, the priests, and tell them. And it can continue to give them instructions of a lot of instructions. Mm -hmm. And some of them are about grooming, um, about food, hygiene, ways to keep a priest pure physically, and then also a priest like having an understanding of what that is. A priest was an authority. They would be entering into the temple where the spirit of the Lord was, or or people believe, was represented. Um, that's, <laughs> I try not to get into so many other conversations, but I feel like it's so easy to get right. So many things. We'll we'll come back to that someday. But yes. <laughs> uh, the Ark of the Covenant was there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so uh, there's, that's significant. And so there were a lot of instructions about, how you had to interact with the temple. There's this really great book by David Blam, and it's called, he has two, God behaving badly and also a book called Polygamists and Prostitutes. And he has a lot of really good analogies in his book. And he gives an analogy about the Ark of the Covenant and why mm-hmm. mishandling it, um, not caring for it, and not following God's instructions for it, could result in death, which we do see in 2 Samuel 6. A man named is Uzzah, Uzzah is killed. Um, he touches the Ark, because it's falling. And I'm going (laughs) to keep going really off track, but I feel like this is, this is actually, uh, so at first glance, you're like, why is God striking this guy dead? Because he's trying to catch the ark. That seems just cruel and unkind, but it's, uh, we see, if we look at the whole context of this in first Samuel seven, the ark is taken from the people of Israel and, um, it's brought into non-Israelite possession. And then, um, the Philistines had invented a system of transporting the ark on a cart, which was not what mm-hmm. God had instructed. It's not the proper way to carry it. And so uh, in this instance, it was also being carried on a cart, even though the Israelites had possession of it again. And it was supposed to be the celebration, but they weren't handling it in the way that they should. There's mm-hmm. there's a lot there to look at, but he uses this good analogy that it's kind of like handling like uranium or something. Like It's like this nuclear thing almost, and it's like... Right. If you don't take care of it properly, then it's going to have negative effects on you. Like this is a really powerful thing. And so if you're mishandling this or you're not following the protocol uh, or the different standards for how to interact with uranium or whatever it is, then there's just consequences to that because it's really powerful. So I think that that is a good, at least for me, that's good and helpful for me to understand this situation, but also... A lot of these weird, there's a weird Levitical law that just seems, <laughs> doesn't make sense to us at all. Right. Pro, I wonder, honestly, if it made any sense to them sometimes, but we're <laughs> receiving it. But um, I think that's good because we have to see there's a lot of physical things. There's a lot of spiritual things that they had to follow the instructions of God for because if they didn't then the consequence could be losing their life. And not because God was cruel or unkind, but because there just are consequences to dealing with, with God and that much power. Right. And he's he's giving yeah. us ways to interact with him um, and specifically these priests. And if, if you don't follow them, you understand the consequences. That was the purpose of, of this right. law. Yeah. Do you remember?
1: Yeah, I love, I love the analogy. I, I think... It helps me too. Just kind of see, like, if you're you don't take care of it the way that you're supposed to take care of it, like, there's going to be consequences. And um, I I really like that analogy. It helps kind of piece things more together, I guess. Um, And I think, yeah, way to go. I like that analogy, (laughs) David Lamb. Everybody, (laughs) (laughs) thank you, David Lamb, for that. (laughs) Um,
0: It's also, I think, we're going going to talk especially in this specific instance in Levitical law, a lot about purity. And I think it's good for us to detach ourselves from like purity culture stuff, because we're thinking like purity means don't have sex. (laughs) And that's really not the case in most of the Bible. Of course, like sexual purity is a part of that, but it's this holistic purity of your mind and your body and your heart. And what comes out of your heart produces your actions and that, um, all those things. And so being pure in every way was really important for a priest as someone who's acting in the place where God's presence wow. was represented or resided, whatever your thoughts are on that. So we're going to look at the actual text here. Leviticus 21, seven through eight says, you are not to marry a woman defiled by prostitution. They are not to marry one divorced by your husband for the priest is holy to his God. You are to consider him holy since he represents oh, the food of your God. He will be holy to you because I, the Lord who sets you apart, am holy. And then... Also, same chapter 21, verses 13 through 15. He is to marry a woman who is a virgin. He's not to marry a widow, a divorced woman, or one defiled by prostitution. He is to marry a virgin from his own people so that he does not corrupt his bloodline among his people, for I am the Lord who sets him apart. And there's quite a few more things there. Mm -hmm. But that's those references to prostitution. And so, again, I think we have to really be careful to understand these things in context, which I think a lot of us have avoided the old testament for a long time at least i did i shouldn't say a lot of oh, us um but just knowing my friends and the conversations that i've had i think we've avoided these things because it's like i don't get this and i don't feel yeah. be comfortable because it seems like the things that are being said they're definitely not pc today but even then it's like why Why would god say these things who you know why, why does this matter and i think we have to look at Especially the Torah, the context of the Torah, and the whole Old Testament, and this whole our overarching story of scripture. Mm-hmm. And um, again, I think it's kind of like looking at this concept of sex and marriage, especially in the Old Testament.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: Deuteronomy gives a lot of detailed outlines to help Israel understand sex, and that's designed for marriage only. And mm-hmm. and marriage really was not the marriage that we understand today. was right. <laughs> so yeah.
1: different. Yeah, it's yeah. It like I said, you just really have to take the Bible and what it says. Like you can't have your own lens. You right. Know, you kind of take those lenses off and be like, okay, like what was it like in that culture or in that day of time? And that is something that I'd learned later in life with like marriage. Is like, you know, it's it wasn't all just like this romantic love and stuff like it was more of let's you know populate and let's um work together and things like that and I that's something I learned later in life like growing up you know you think I would think of these different um characters who were quote-unquote married in the bible or whatever and you just like like think of their romance or whatever (laughs) but it really wasn't quite like that Like it is for us, like we have a kind of a different view on that or a different take on that because of, you know, the the culture we're in, but also like the progress that Mm. throughout time, you know. And so it's 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 important to understand that as we're talking about this topic. So I think that's a great point.
0: I remember once in, I don't know, I was probably like 16, maybe younger, but I had a notebook that I took like church notes in. And I remember saying, which is so funny because it's something I would kind of do now. Back then, I really didn't like care about looking at scripture in depth, but it was right. purely for the romance. I was like, okay, I'm going to write down all of the couples in the Bible and then, mm-hmm. that I can think of because like, right. I knew of like five and I was like, I'm going to write down their story. And so I started going through one by one and it was like Esther and King Xerxes and um, and like. Rebecca and Isaac and Rachel and Jacob, which is so funny too, because I thought that was the most romantic. And now I'm like, ooh, there's a lot here that <laughs> is not. Yeah,
1: there's more.
0: Oh. <laughs> yeah. That's not great. And not a great model for a 16-year-old to be like, I want my relationship to be like to be like this. Um mm-hmm. which is so funny too when we look at the Old Testament. I think we forget sometimes that there really isn't. A narrative of like this is good and this is bad it's just kind of telling us what happened and so especially with with the patriarchs and uh abraham and isaac and jacob and esau and all of that it's like well this is what happened and we're oh how sweet oh but wait hmm there's a lot (laughs) there's a lot that needs to be taken care of here Mm -hmm. um yes so good very good point to make really romance was not involved Uh, of course we see that there are couples who had love for one another, There, there right. is romantic love. So of course, like we talked about Song of Solomon, mm-hmm. um, and like the sexual relationship there, Jacob and Rachel, they did, ha- it says Jacob had love for her. Um, mm-hmm. even though there was a lot of complicated sister, wife things happening, Hannah like El- and Elkanah. uh, he had, he had love for her and she, for him as well. And mm-hmm. so we can see that marriage, wasn't just about making errors, but that was a really big purpose of it. And joining two families, it was really about like the patriarchs mm-hmm. decide who's going to marry who, and we're looking out for the best interests of our children, but not just for that they'll be happy, but so that they'll be taken care of financially, so that they'll be taken care of by spouses who um, are going to represent them well and advocate for them. And, and so it just really, really is not what we think of today. And so when we ask the question, why can't a priest marry a prostitute? I think when we look at that, we first see, well, is God saying they're less valuable because they're Mm -hmm. you know defiled, they've defiled themselves, or um, if they were abused by men physically and sexually, does that mean somehow that they're less valuable? Are they Mm -hmm. not redeemable by God just, you know, because of their, the profession that they had chosen? Or Maybe probably they did not choose that profession, quote unquote. It was probably a lot of human trafficking and a lot of, you know, someone abusing and using women and exploiting on their behalf. Right. And so there's no biblical indication anywhere in the Bible even though this is what we've heard for a long time, that mm-hmm. abuse or cheating or fornication makes a person less valuable or less of an image bearer or less of a person in any way. That's not a biblical concept, even though mm-hmm. the church has, has made it one, that's not a biblical yeah. concept. Mm-hmm. And every person is created imago day in the image of God. And we have inherent value that does not change. You're, you're, the amount of, I, I'm trying to think of the right way to phrase this, The amount of image that you bear, I guess, of God, that doesn't change. That's probably not the right way to say that, but um, your value is inherent. And so there are different laws and instructions in the Torah that have different consequences for disobeying, for becoming unclean or impure. So like a lot of touching blood, a lot of touching the dead, eating unclean food. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: they came with a range of different consequences. And sometimes the consequences... um, it wasn't really a consequence, but it was more of, like, a purity ritual had to happen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was cleansing and quarantine for disease, for bleeding, for having your period. But it wasn't about, like, the value of a person being decreased or being yeah. becoming less. Mm-hmm. And so, again, I think we got to look at the, this concept of prostitution. It broke the covenant of marriage. It was a union of two people and God, um, a covenant and designed for family, designed for respect, for love, and um, those are the only places in scripture that God says intercourse and sexual activity are permitted is in marriage, and Mm -hmm. so there's, there's also spiritual indications for that, which we'll talk about next, but we have to understand that prostitution broke that covenant of marriage, and also there's just consequences that happen when you engage in things like touching blood or a dead body or engaging in prostitution, mm-hmm. that just, like, there's just practical physical consequences to those things. Right. So for a priest who's encountering the place of God's presence or, or the representation of that presence where it resides as a dedicated worker, if he marries a prostitute, that came with spiritual, emotional, physical consequences, and there mm-hmm. were life-saving health benefits to following God's law, this ancient society with a very limited understanding of health Mm -hmm. really limited understanding of medicine and disease and there really weren't medications and treatments so if a prostitute had something like an std or an sti or an infection there wouldn't be a cure or treatment for that again Mm -hmm. so far from our context so that would have implications for a priest and like i'm trying to stay on topic here there's so many things that you could Look into just like the requirements for priests and the practical side of these laws, but I, I think that that's a good base place to start when we talking about like why would why would God say this about prostitutes? Right.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think it's so important to know that to understand that they weren't valued less by God. Um, God still valued them. Um, but yeah, there are the consequences. Just like, just like you mentioned, the other the other things, you know. But they weren't valued less, and I think that's important to understand and have at the forefront of our mind is to know, like, they aren't devalued; like, they are still valued, individual, and God still values them because they are created by God. So I think that is important to understand and to have, like I said, just the forefront of our mind as we go throughout this topic, like, they're not valueless. They're, they're important. So good points. Absolutely.
0: And I think we don't think about that of, you know, different polygamists in the Bible, which is a whole nother, whole nother podcast. But um, we don't really think about that when we see, like, oh, well, Abraham had sex with Hagar, who was, probably a victim of sex trafficking that he he probably got her from when they passed through Egypt and Sarah sent him, sent him with all these gifts. And she's probably a product of that because she's an Egyptian slave. And we don't really think of like, oh, is Abraham's value decreased because he, you know, cheated on his wife. And, and of course there's like the whole context of polygamy and and ancient polygamy and all of that, but we don't think of other people in scripture less, especially of men. Mm -hmm. So I think we have to remember that about all these situations that while your value doesn't change and while you still represent the image of God and he, you know, his love for you does not change in the, all of those things, um, there are just practical consequences to, to sleeping with your, to nah. <laughs> so sleeping with the victim of sex trafficking, or even if she was a willing participant of, you know, there's, you're sleeping with someone who's not your wife. There's consequences to that. Right. And we see that still today, this, this whole, mm-hmm. you know, um, with Ishmael and Islam and like all of these things, there, there are consequences to that. Mm-hmm. And so being a prostitute would have consequences. Um, I think right. also we should look at the spiritual consequences of that. And so first Corinthians six, 15 through 20 says, don't you know that your bodies are a part of Christ's body? So should I take a part of Christ's body and make it part of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her for scripture says the two will become one flesh, but anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with him, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin person commits is outside the body, but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price to glorify God with your body. So another reference to a prostitute, um, but also we see that there's spiritual implications as well. And so this was many you know, thousands of years after this little bit of the law is being presented, but, um, but we know that scripture is, is true and it holds up. And so this would have been applicable to them as well. And especially someone who's working in this holy place, that would have been significant. Mm-hmm. And again, see this idea, sex is more than just a physical or emotional act between consenting adults. It's also spiritual. There's so much more to it. And it's, you know, that, like I said, like the, the physical spiritual emotional representation of like becoming one with another person and so i think that's also important to see because not it's not just degrading the other person and god's design for sex but this this tells us yourself and also Mm -hmm. if you if you are a person who has received salvation the free gift of salvation and the holy spirit lives inside of you then you're offending this Holy Spirit that lives inside of you, God, yeah. God's Spirit inside of you, if you're technically like this temple for the Holy Spirit. Right. And also like this uh, element of like, sex is emotionally binding to people. And another thing that we see through Song of Solomon, um, their feelings, their emotions, their desires were connected because of their sexual encounters with each other. Sweet. yeah. All right. So, um, I'm going to, I'm trying so hard not to go off on 1,100 bajillion rabbit trails, but, um, yeah, I think, I think the best thing that we can do is jump to Deuteronomy 23, 17. So this verse specifically says, we're just kind of going to go through different specific verses on prostitution that are in the law. So it says don't practice cult prostitution. So we actually see a lot of this in the New Testament. It's not super, I don't know that there's a lot of references to it in the Old Testament or actually in other ancient Middle Eastern literature, but it was something that was commonly, uh, maybe not commonly practiced, but it was practiced. So I really like the NIV Cultural Studies background Bible. They have it for the NRSV and I think New King James and a few other Mm -hmm. translations, but this is a really great study Bible. So I'm quoting them here. If religious prostitution did function in Israel, this legislation would have cut off a significant source of income for the temple in Israel. The activity was possibly approved in some ancient Near Eastern cultic activities in Mesopotamia. Some scholars conclude that the Old Testament evidence in ancient Near Eastern evidence does not establish the long-held assumption of religious prostitution. Religious prostitution indicates an activity fostered officially by the religious and state authorities in the sanctuary or its vicinity in order to support the sanctuary itself and to carry out effective religious rituals and ceremonies. Prostitution was generally, uh, prostitution in general was legally and socially tolerated in the ancient Near East, although it was ridiculed. So in Mm
1: -hmm.
0: a religious setting, um, it seems like this probably wasn't happening in Israel. Maybe it was, but specifically in other ancient societies, it would be like you could have sex with this prostitute, and then your payment would go towards this religious institution. So basically, you would be funding the your you know your temple, whatever it was, um, or and and the temples in other cultures represented also where you know their their deities quote unquote lived uh, or resided. But it was also like, so unlike the God of Israel because they were confined there. And also there was a priest who had to take care of their needs, like had to feed them. And I know maybe there was an oracle who had to interpret something from them or um, well, an oracle and an interpreter. There was a lot of different things, very different than the God of Israel and the standards that we see for the temple of God. But um, it would be this thing where it was like, either you are worshiping your false deity by having sex with this prostitute, or uh, there's some kind of financial gain for this false deity or for the temple. So that's for, I think, obvious reasons that is prohibited in, in Israel, because first of all, God doesn't need you to fund his temple with your money by having sex with the prostitute, but also the way that the God of Israel operates and interacts with people and interacts with the temple and the Ark of the Covenant and everything, it's it's just not the same. That's not how it works. Mm -hmm. It's not something that you can control, and it's not something that God needs you to do, something that he prohibits in order to fund it financially. Right. All right. Um, I did have another note here. The NIV Biblical Theology Study Bible says, uh, this is on, um, place in the verse that says, Instead of cult prostitute, this version uses shrine prostitute, and it says male and female prostitution was at times practiced in worship centers in Canaan due to the belief that this would increase fertility through sympathetic magic. These earned would be donated to religious institutions. So again, this idea that like you can get something out of it—it's it's this exchange, not just sexually, but also like maybe if you have sex with this prostitute, then you'll become fertile, or you'll you know kind of like this magical idea where I do something and I get something out of it again, not how God operates. So it would make sense that this is not
1: what we're doing here. Right. So interesting. Those are so interesting. I actually also have the cultural studies by background Bible and I love it. So I'm glad that you added that in there because that's a great, that's a great study Bible. If anybody wants to get a good study Bible, that is one to get
0: that's a really good tool, especially when you're looking at Old Testament law and you're like, what yeah. the heck is going on? Yeah,
1: what is being said here? I don't understand. Yeah, because so you really different. have
0: to a cultural well, a cultural background. You have to get, right. you you have have get that. Yeah. Yeah, the backdrop. Awesome. So I'll just go through these next year really fast. Deuteronomy 23, 18 says, don't bring prostitutes' wages into the house of the Lord. Kind of similar. Um, and then Leviticus 19, 29, don't force your daughter into prostitution. So, again, we see like if you are a patriarch, if you're leading this family, if which which the father would presumably be, the patriarch, um, the oldest living male. But you are your responsibility is to take care of especially the women in your life in this ancient world, where when women are not valued or considered equal by other societies, and they need advocates and they need male advocates in this situation, and so you are responsible for making sure that your daughter is advocated for and being taken care of and obviously making your daughter sex trafficking your daughter would put Mm -hmm. would be disobeying God in a lot of ways but also not fulfilling your role as a patriarch in that setting yeah okay so we're gonna quickly look at two prostitutes in the bible I don't have a ton of notes so I really want your thoughts and just kind of like your (laughs) just (laughs) like what you think about these things so first is Rahab so I feel like, why don't you give a background to Rahab? Cause I feel like you would do it better than, than I would. <laughs> <laughs> I'll
1: try. <laughs> um, so, um, so Rahab, what I love about Rahab is Rahab is actually included in the genealogy of Jesus, which I find to be so cool because like we were talking earlier, like they are, are valued by God and like. I just think that it's so cool one that a woman is in the genealogy but two a prostitute and I just think even though she was a prostitute um and she was a prostitute so she can save two Israelites you know um but even though she was a prostitute she um was included in mm-hmm. this genealogy and I think that. She had some importance to that and I think that God sees more of us than what we see. Mm-hmm. That makes sense if He yeah. He sees Rahab as as his daughter, as someone who is um, of value and so she gets put into the genealogy. And I just every time I think about that, every time I read through the genealogy in the New Testament, I just i am always like every time I read her name, I'm just like, I think it's just so crazy that she is included. But I at the same time, I'm like, it doesn't shock me because that's how God is. And so hmm. um with Rahab, like, yeah, she just amazes me. So I she's she's one that I just yeah, I don't know if I'm doing her justice. I just feels like, feel like there's so much about her, but um, yeah, she's valued. So, and I think that even though she was a prostitute, like God still sees her as Rahab, not Rahab the prostitute.
0: Mm. He sees her as Rahab.
1: And, you know, I think that that is important to notice. So, yeah, hopefully I explained Rahab good enough.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think the story of, the redemption of yeah. of God in her life and like just that that we, f- we feel so far removed some of us, I think in the context that we grew up in uh you know certain circles or just certain like places geographically, like you and I grew up in the same place. And so prostitutes are something that isn't like something that we grew up with the concept of really. It's just not a, I, I'm sure that it happens in the area that we live in geographically, but it wasn't something that we were like really aware of. And so it seems so yeah. far removed again to just, uh, understand the story of what that would be like for her. And also, um, I don't know, the redemption story there. And we feel like, I think sometimes like, oh, well, you know, it's great that God saved that person. It's good that he didn't have to save me that much, but it's like, no, <laughs> have you read the, we're going to look at the the story of Simon and the woman who weeps at Jesus's feet. And it's like, sometimes with yeah. Simon and we're like, just missing this huge picture that we, we also need that redemption. And I think that Um, through a lot of the stories of especially women who who just seem kind of out of place like Ruth and even Esther and um, a lot of the women in the New Testament Mary Magdalene and the women who were possessed by demons and a lot of the references that Jesus makes to prostitutes even it's uh, I don't know I think we just forget that no matter what our physical circumstances are spiritually our circumstances are all the same and that we all need the same, the same redemption from Jesus. And we all need that him to see us for who we are with the value that he's created us with that's from him. And especially in the context of Jesus, like the new life that he gives us and the new, the newness that he brings to every
1: part of us. Right. Yeah. And just the fact that like being a prostitute, you are seen as unclean and, um, And I think that knowing that God valued Rahab, even though she was unclean, um, I think it's encouraging for me, especially as, like, you know, I sin. I do, you know, things, and I, I disobey and all these things, and, like, I'm still valued by God, and, like, I can be made clean through Jesus, and I think that is really cool.
0: So. Absolutely, and I didn't give background to that. Rahab is the prostitute who saves two Israelite is it, it's two Israelite spies, right?
1: Two. I think so. Yeah, because
0: okay. she hides them, right? Right, and and she's included, uh, like you said, in the genealogy in uh, Matthew one five, and you can find the story of Rahab. Uh, it's mostly in Joshua two, but there's also references to her um, through chapter six, and then it's really fascinating that we see a few different references to her in the New Testament books and Pauline um, letters. So Hebrews 11, 31 says, by faith, Rahab the prostitute welcomed the spies in peace and didn't perish with those who disobeyed. And then James 2, 25, faith and works in the same way. Wasn't Rahab the prostitute? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I wrote down in my notes, faith and works. This this um, chunk of verses here is talking about faith and works. And if mm-hmm. you have a faith, then it's going to show up in the fruit that you produce. And so it's the verse says, in the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? So she ended up saving them, and she um, she told the people that were looking for them, no, they weren't here, or they went that way, and she sent them a different way. And uh, there's, there's a lot of really, also just like culturally significant things that if you have time to dig into the story of Rahab, and also the, the spies of Israel and all of that, Um, actually a lot of like really interesting archaeological things that I won't, I won't bore people out of their brains, but um, there's a lot there. So the next woman we're going to look at super fast is Tamar. So I'm going to give the most cliff notes version of this story, but again, (laughs) you have to just read this and you have to read this with so many commentaries and so many things to try to understand this because it feels so, it feels like a really bad HBO movie sometimes. Like, it's just like, what are you talking about? So Tamar was married to a man who didn't, he purposely did not procreate with her. And then um, there was this concept of leveret marriage and she ended up marrying a brother and so on and so forth. And there was one brother left and her father-in-law who was Judah, he did not want her to marry the last remaining son. So he tries to cheat her of the leveret marriage. The leveret marriage was like, you can marry your brother-in-law if, if your husband dies, because then you have someone to advocate for you, he can produce an heir for you, and it will be considered your husband's heir. Mm-hmm. And especially as a woman in that context, you, you really needed a man to represent you um, economically. Also, if there was like a legal, like some kind of legal battle going on, you needed a man, you needed a man to just take care of you financially in that in that context in that setting, and so to have a son would be a really big deal. So she really wanted an heir, and so she pretends to be prostitute. She uh, sleeps with her father in law, and she becomes pregnant with his child. And um, it's interesting because you can read this in Genesis thirty eight. But her her father in law Judah says she is more righteous than he is. Judah has a long history of just really bad behavior and really interesting things that mm-hmm. he does. Um, another thing that David Lamb covers in great detail in *Prostitutes and, uh, and prostitutes in his book that I recommend that you spend time reading because it's just, mm-hmm. what is going on? But I think that leaves us this question. Uh, I don't think Rahab really brought up the question, like, does this mean prostitution is okay? We just saw a woman and, her, and she was a prostitute and she ended up helping these men and um, her family ended up being saved and as a result of it, because she she helps um, these Israelite men and uh, ended up. It seems adopting the the faith of Israel um, of the God of Israel. This story is different because it almost seems like prostitution is okay. Like it's permitted. Yeah. Maybe not ordained by God, but like, does this mean that this is this is all right? Um, what What are your thoughts
1: on that? It's yeah. It's such an interesting. I don't even know what my thoughts are just because it's so interesting. Like it, it's so different, but yeah, I mean, that's just one to just like mull over forever and just be like, what? Um,
0: love root marriage is also, I mean, hopefully it's, it's just not something that we think of today because it's like, your husband dies when you marry your single brother-in-law. What? Yeah. I. Why?
1: Why? Why did you do that? Yeah. It's so interesting. I. Yeah.
0: I think for me, what helps me is to look at the context of a lot of things, like, um, like polygamy, and I don't know. They're just other concepts in the Old Testament that divorce, um, that moses gives the law from god about to the people of israel and it seems like it almost seems like because he's giving laws about it that god is saying this is okay it's okay to divorce your wife it's okay mm-hmm. to be a polygamist and we can see in the design that god has created for human beings for marriage for sex for all of those things that he doesn't ordain or even permit polygamy or um or divorce i mean there, the divorce has there's like some complexities there but just saying i don't want to be married to you anymore we're, we're getting divorced for no, you know no reason other than you just don't like stress anymore um there's laws but god is giving those laws to protect the people that are involved specifically women in these scenarios so mm-hmm. with polygamy it was like hey if you're going to be a polygamist, don't marry two sisters. Like the whole, uh, Rachel and Leah debacle, like that was a mess. (laughs) And also Esau and a lot of these people, or, you know, if you have two wives and you stop loving one, don't start treating her as less than, and you know, you have this, you have this role to your spouse and you have this role to your, you need to fulfill to your daughters and all these different things. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't that God was saying, yeah, do whatever you want. If that's what you want to do. He was saying, Hey, if you, if you divorce this woman, even though that's not what I permit, if you mm-hmm. end up doing it, these are the guidelines that I'm giving you to follow because I want to make sure that she's taken care of or that he's mm-hmm. taken care of, that these people, um, are not just left out to dry and right. just call it a day. Oh, well, I got divorced. You know, there's, there's, um, roles that you have and you have to fulfill those roles and, and take care of these people. So we see that in this lever marriage situation. But also, I think remembering, like we kind of talked about earlier, if you're reading a story that just seems weird and like, why is this in the, the Bible, specifically in the Old Testament, it's not giving a, it, this story doesn't say, like, and this was good and this was bad. It's just telling us what happened. So right. it's not saying, green light, you know, like, pretend to be a prostitute and sleep with your father in law. Right. If your husband dies, it's saying, this is what happened. And mm-hmm. we can learn from, judah we can learn from tamar we can learn from their interaction but what we're not learning is do as i do and and
1: be a prostitute <laughs> you know that's right all. yeah so important to remember that is so, like such a good point to bring up again like a lot a lot of the times the bible is just telling us a story like especially in the old testament it's like it's just telling us what happened um and sometimes it there's not necessarily, I think sometimes we think like, oh, I've got to like take this and like uh, apply it to my life somehow. But a lot of times, especially in the Old Testament, it's just telling us what happened and and giving us the story. And so that we can, you know, see how God worked throughout history and throughout the Bible, but it's not necessarily like like a blueprint of like how we need how this is how we're supposed to do it blah 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 blah. it's like I mean some of it is like yes we go through and like yeah this is like God's telling us this is how we should live our life you know these are like the commandments and all of that but a lot of times it's just like you know we learn about God. And I think we use the Bible as a way to learn about God and how he, um, valued people and how he interacted with people, um, how he used people despite their sins. And so I think that is, a, that's a great point to bring up again is, it's a story and it, and And that's, it's, it's okay if we don't get something out of it to actually apply to our lives because we're essentially learning who God is through the Bible. So, and that's important
0: too, I think, because we want to be like, okay, here's this person. And I want to be like this person because they were righteous Mm -hmm. or they were this or they were that. And we, we just turn it into ourselves so much. Like we, Mm -hmm. you know, there's this whole idea that, that as in this modern American culture that we have that we want to be the main character. We want, you know, we want to Mm -hmm. find ourselves in the story. But also I think even sometimes in looking for application, we forget that we're learning about God first and Mm -hmm. foremost, and he is drawing us to him. And we really need to focus on him (laughs) in these stories. I mean, I am, I just love like picking these things apart just to see what they mean and see what the significance are, because I think you understand a lot of the historical culture. It just makes the story more, vivid and also just like gives it more meaning, but, right. but also it's, it's not, the story really isn't the story of the Bible. Is not about people? It's about God and it's about exactly God bringing, you know, having and earth back together and the redemption that we have through Jesus right. and all that. So I think that's unfortunate as well. I have a friend. Um, he, he used to be my boss and his name, he's a pastor named Christian Mungai And he has this saying that he always says from his father. And it's, that people are the wealth. And so the idea of that concept is like, you can't, you can't really gain permanent wealth from finances or from treasure. It's, it's from people. People are the treasure. People are the wealth. And so you can learn things that people can never take away from you from these people. Mm -hmm. And it's the way that I've always kind of thought of that and really held on to that because I think it's such a valuable thing to learn. And we see that in scripture is that There are people that you're going to interact with every day. Sometimes you'll meet them once. Sometimes you'll meet them a hundred times over and they might be the worst person on earth. Like they might be a wonderful person who has great virtue and piety and you're, you you can just learn from them by acting like them, by being godly, by being Christ-like. But there's some people who are just terrible people. And what you can learn from them is I really shouldn't be a terrible person or Mm -hmm. You know, I shouldn't treat others this way. I can see the consequences of their actions. Or, you know, it's not a great idea to pretend to be a prostitute. Or, you know, in Judah's case, it's not it's not good to deprive others of the things that you're obligated to provide for them, especially if you're a leader, which which he was.
1: Which I think that's such a great point to bring up though. Like we still on that story, like we focus so much on the prostitute but there's also the other side like you said like and I think that's a great point actually I, I think that is so important to remember like I feel like so often we're we pinpoint what the woman did wrong or you know or what so-and-so did wrong but there's always a second side and I think that's important to to bring up as well
0: yeah there's have you read the book Oh gosh, now I can't remember. It's called, it's by Beth Allison Barr. I think it's the only book that she's written that's like, it's kind of like,
1: uh, oh gosh, what's it called? Making a Biblical Womanhead. Have you read that? Um, I've read parts. I have not read it all the way through, Okay. Um, but I have read parts and it's fantastic.
0: Very good. She has some really interesting things about, because she's a historian, specifically a medieval historian. And so she, she, it, it's really good even if you don't agree with it completely there's so much history packed into it that even if you're like so close mm-hmm. to it just read it because you need the history It's <laughs> so mm-hmm. in depth and she talks about how there was this turning point in the middle ages where previous to uh t- to this shift men had kind of been seeing how women are today at least in like our modern evangelical this, this broad concept yeah. of um women that were kind of like you know they're dangerous and their bodies are dangerous and they have to cover up and uh, a lot of like purity culture ideas but it right. was flipped and it was it was actually towards men and there was like this shift that happened where um were the, the, the roles kind of changed and reversed and so um it would be interesting to see what people at that time would have thought of the story if they would have focused more on judah or if they would have focused more on humor
1: yeah so interesting
0: Okay, so closing up here, we just have one more thing to look at. And it's uh, this is the CSB version. So you might have a version that uses the the term or the phrase prostitutes um, more than once. But in the CSB version in the New Testament, well, specifically in the Gospels, we see that the term prostitute is used twice. So it's in the parable of the two sons, and that's in Matthew. And Jesus refers to prostitutes and tax collectors. And what he's saying is, the tax collectors and prostitutes are going to enter God's kingdom before you. And that's in verse 31. And um, they believed before you. And that's in verse 32. And he's speaking to Jews in the temple who considered themselves to be really righteous. Mm-hmm. And so uh, this links to verse, I thought of uh, Matthew 21, 42 through 43, which says, have you never read in the scriptures, the stone that the builders rejected has become the corner cornerstone? This is what the Lord has done, and it is wonderful in our own eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruit. And this is all talking about how the Pharisees, the chief priests, the people who considered themselves religiously righteous, were looking down on those who they perceived to be less righteous. So prostitutes, tax collectors, sinners, um, just people that didn't have a great social standing, kind of these pariahs. Jesus seems to be saying here. That even though you think these people are so dirty and unclean, they're accepting me. They're producing my fruit as a result of accepting the gospel that I came to die for their sins and later did and rose from the dead. And they're accepting me as God's Messiah. But you who think that you're righteous, you're not accepting that. And you look, it's more significant for them, I think, because it's like these people that you're looking down on so greatly, they're the ones who are. Entering the kingdom of God, so to speak, before you, right. and there's a lot of uh, ideas on what the kingdom of God means here, and um, it, as we uh, enter this everlasting uh, everlasting life with with God after um, after death, but
1: mm-hmm.
0: I think it's just important to see the significance of that because I think you can read that and be like, that seems really mm-hmm. insulting. Why would Jesus yeah. say that? But it's not to be insulting. It's just saying more for them, hey, you think you're great, but, (laughs) and you think these people are trashy people, but they're not, and they're the ones who are following me. Yeah, good point. And then, uh, likewise, there's Luke 7, which is a story that I love. It's about a sinful woman who, a lot of people believe she was a prostitute, or she was kind of sexually promiscuous in some way. Is kind of the assumption that we have about her. Uh, I could literally talk about this story for four hours, if you ask me (laughs) to. She washes Jesus's feet. There's uh, the book, Kenneth E. Bailey's book, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, has a whole chapter about this and gives so much insight and background to this, which makes it so much more significant. But we see here a woman who's washing Jesus's feet with her tears, and it's at Simon the Pharisee's house. And basically, he purposely doesn't wash Jesus's feet, which would would have been socially normal. Like you invite someone over, you wash Mm -hmm. their feet. many reasons right he's trying to embarrass him basically because he doesn't wash his feet it's like hey we invited rabbi jesus and he's here Mm -hmm. and i'm gonna you know greet everyone else with a kiss and anoint them with oil and wash their feet but not jesus Mm
1: -hmm. and it would have
0: been meant to embarrass him but this woman is weeping that that he would do this to the messiah the son of god and she's washing his feet with her tears and she lets down her hair which was also significant because Mm -hmm. that was something that. Jewish women would do on their wedding night. Their husbands would be the first one to see their hair uncovered and she washes his feet. And it's kind of like the symbol of basically her marriage in a a sense or commitment, I guess, to Jesus.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And again, it's, he talks to Simon, he's looking at the woman and he talks to Simon and it's almost going to make me cry because I just see myself as Simon so much, (laughs) like most Mm -hmm. of my life. I'm so Simon. Um, but he's like, you have been looking down on this woman and thinking, if this was really the Messiah, he would let this dirty woman touch him. But even though her sins are many, she is forgiven and she's a new person in me and she's freed. And
1: right.
0: it's the same concept that, like, you are so harsh and so condemning of people who, you know, it's it's like we can understand a sin for a sin. And we need to understand that. Mm-hmm. We need to have biblical judgment about situations to say you know what prostitution is a sin having sex outside of marriage is a sin all of these things but also it's like who knows this woman's story as well you know what i mean like who who knows besides jesus because we don't have it here right. who knows this woman's story and um i don't know we just we have to be careful because i think we all want to think that we're the woman who would wash jesus's feet with our hair and a lot of times we're simon and, and we're doing exactly yeah. what he's condemning in these passages Exactly.
1: Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that before we close up shop? No, I think you hit that so well. Like I just, yeah. I think. Oh, I want to read that book. That sounds so good. So good. So good. Yeah. I just is yeah. Oh, I don't have words. I think you just hit that really well. I, I think it's really cool. This that whole story. That's like one of my favorite stories too. Actually, just like. Yeah, I would probably be Simon as well, <laughs> so <laughs> sounds like me as well, but yeah. yeah, I don't know, so good, I, yeah, I
0: don't know, <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> heard, um, oh gosh, I just knocked my, my light off the table. Um, another place you can kind of see that same theme and idea is Matthew 9, 10, to 13, and a few other places, but it's like after Jesus caused Matthew the tax collector to be his disciple. You know, the pharisees are constantly like why are you interacting and having friendships and relationships and and this intimate friendship with these tax collectors and these sinners and he says i didn't come to call the righteous but i came to call sinners i didn't come to you know i'm a, i'm the great physician the doctor i didn't come for the healthy why would a doctor go to healthy people i came for the sick right. i came for the people who need me <laughs> so exactly yeah. yeah i think that that's a theme that we can take some from the old testament and the new testament and kind of apply these new testament concepts and these old testament stories together and see that just the, the more that honestly i get into the old testament especially it's like you would think that the law would make you just understand that god is cruel and angry and unkind but really it just helps you understand that in the old testament and the new he is loving and kind and gracious and merciful and it's not that Jesus is, like, the cool new hip guy and God is, like, the old mean guy. He's he's loving and all loving in a way that we can never understand. And so I think if you would take time and, and dig into a lot of this more, that's what you're going to find. And I know people are afraid of that, which I definitely was, too. Like, if I start looking at Deuteronomy, I'm going to not be a Christian anymore because it's scary. <laughs> but it really has done the opposite. And it's really just... um really just opens your eyes so I really recommend that if you're curious about these ideas or just you know kind of one of those weird topics we we dwelt on for a moment take time and look into it look at commentaries look at Mm -hmm. vastly different commentaries um, that have different opinions and get a broad perspective of this and just go in trusting uh God doesn't need you to trust him to reveal himself to you but i think for me it helps me to go in trusting. like i know that god is good i know that he's gracious and i yeah. don't have to like try to search and find it and manipulate it to make it fit but that's what i'm going to find and even when i'm doubtful of that or i'm afraid that that's not true he's going to show me and reveal to me that that is true and i just have to read right. it his word and, and trust it as my
1: authority right yeah that's that's a good point i that's Deuteronomy is just scary. (laughs) A lot of the old Testament is scary. And I think going through the master's degree that I'm going through right now, like, um, I've been taught different tools that I wasn't taught growing up of how to study scripture in such a way that you were just describing, like really just digging deep and trusting that the Lord's going to guide me through the scripture and show me what I need to be shown or whatever, but also like growing up, like for me personally, and probably for you, cause we did kind of grow up, um, in the same area, same culture. We were never really taught to look from different perspectives and different, um, like ideas, And so I think that's important, like you said, to um, take different commentaries or different study Bibles that one is maybe from just a different translation. Um, I know that I have like I have several Bibles from different translations, and I find it so helpful to like read them in different translations. Mm -hmm. But I also think it's important to read commentaries from different sides as well, because I think you know god is going to guide us in our study and i think we shouldn't be scared to see different perspectives because i think it only strengthens our relationship because we are trusting that god's going to kind of give us our own our own thoughts and i think it's important to have our own thoughts because you know that grows us as a person but then it, it again it grows our relationship with god because he's leading us through that, that study. So I think that's a great point is, is um, looking at those different perspectives because it's important. and Don't be scared to look at different perspectives. It's, okay. I encourage it, you know, and that's what I do all the time. And I think that's what I love about my master's program is like there are people from so many different denominations and, and I get all these different like viewpoints and perspectives and I've learned a lot from it. And I've kind of, um, formed my own opinion and my own thoughts on certain passages. And I think I have grown tremendously in, in my walk with the Lord because of it. So,
0: so good. So good. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for going through this with me. Sorry. I talked 1 million hours during this <laughs> while we were going, oh, I loved it. I I'd like to get your perspective because I think you have, as you're getting your biblical education, like I said, just like you know, I think we, I don't need to look in a mirror and, and hear myself talk about the same thing or find people that are saying the same thing as me. And so to get a different perspective and also, even if we agree on a lot of things, having a different, you know, just like life stage and life perspective helps us as a community understand the Bible. So I am so thankful that we got to talk today and I, I'm just, it's a, it's a weird topic, but I
1: think it was really insightful for me to
0: hear hear your thoughts.
1: Well, thank you for having me. It was it was enjoyable. (laughs) Weird topic, but enjoyable. Well done.
0: So good. All right. Thank you so much, Andalina. Thank you.